Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Skulle jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores Karlsson, Karlsson Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keep It Girls and Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are starting to look at the NHL schedule a lot like the quantum moon in Outer Wilds, that every time you look at it, something changes. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, as always, to break down another week of headlines, injuries, outries, hot streaks, cold streaks, it's my very best friend, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode where I like, honestly, Elon, I've never played the Outer Wilds. I know you're addicted to it. I, you're very proud of just having finished it. I have no way to connect any kind of reference to it. So I'm just going to say, welcome, everybody. We have done our research once again this week to find all the tips and news and notes you need to know about to keep winning your fantasy hockey pools. So uh, you're in the right place if you came to win. I hope so. Yeah, I think we're going to do our best. At the very least, we're going to mention some players. Brian's going to say whether they can keep it up or not. But I'd like to say, if we just mention the player, that's almost enough. At least we told you about the guy. After that, you know, you could uh, come to your own conclusions. But yeah, I think we've got a really fun slate for everybody. So we're going to get into it in just a sec. Of course, Keeping Carlson is very proudly presented by Outer Wild. No, I'm just kidding. Proudly presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website out there. It is the place to go. I go every day to check the daily ramblings. I love the tools at Frozen Tools. They've just built a masterpiece over there at Dauber Hockey. If you're not checking it out, I'd imagine you're not doing as well as you could be in your fantasy leagues. Uh, all right. So, Brian, with that, we're going to start with some good old-fashioned fantasy hockey headlines. I don't know how much of a fantasy headline this first one is, just because I guess I need you to tell me if you think there's any implications here. But we've got some news on the Evander Kane situation as the Sharks place him on unconditional waivers for the purpose of terminating his contract. Brian, remember back in the day when he signed that 7 by 7 contract and we had all those debates about whether that was a smart move by the Sharks? And at first, you know, you were saying that they made a bad move and like you know it was too much money for the time or something and then i was like arguing with you then at some point i was able to do a little small victory lap and i was being like ah, it seems like the contract's pretty good at this point now then all of a sudden it started to look like oh man what a terrible contract this guy's like in the minors and they're paying him all this money and now in the end turns out it didn't even matter because they're gonna buy it out or at least they're gonna try because apparently evander kane's agent is gonna try to fight it so you got a whole crazy thing going on in the meantime me and my fantasy brain just starts thinking, well, does that mean another team can sign him a la like Tony D'Angelo with Carolina and he could just go somewhere and all of a sudden start producing and become a valuable fantasy asset again? So what's your current take at this point? Are you like rushing out to grab Evander Kane just in case he signs somewhere? Are you going to let some other chump do that while we wait for this legal situation to sort out? Like what's your current plan with Evander Kane? I'm not rushing out to get him unless I'm in a really cushy spot or it's not going to matter one way or the other. Like if you can go out and get Evander Kane and you're not giving up much to get him and you have two or three weeks to spare to see how all of this shakes out, sure, there's nothing to lose. But if you have anything to lose, and I, I, I don't think you should. The, NL, the NHLPA and Evander Kane have both said that they're going to uh, grieve the termination of his contract. One interesting nugget that I came across while reading about all of this was uh, from a Kevin Kurtz article on The Athletic. 
And that was about Evander Kane's modified no trade clause, which in his in that contract that you mentioned, Elon, that Kane recently signed with San Jose, he has this modified no trade clause that lets Evander Kane name three teams he can be traded to. And like, hilariously, the three teams on his trade list that he can be traded to that he named Buffalo, Winnipeg, and Vegas. So the two teams who've already had him and wanted to be done with him and would definitely not reacquire him. And then apparently Vegas was on there because he had some really rough history with Ryan Reeves and there was no oh, way huh. that they would acquire Evander Kane. But now on his modified no trade, Evander Kane has listed Florida, Tampa, and Vancouver, his hometown. So now Evander Kane is open to playing in other cities more than he was before. Uh, I don't think he has a choice, which might be a factor here. But of course, none of this matters at all if the contract is terminated because there's no contract and no no trade clause. Um, so yeah, all of this is definitely beyond our area of expertise. If any labor lawyers listening want to chime in and let us know uh, the situation, feel free. My big question is if there is any kind of grievance or appeal to Kane's contract being terminated, can he sign elsewhere while grieving or appealing it? And if he doesn't grieve it, how soon can Kane sign elsewhere? Someone mentioned to us on Twitter that he could sign right away after clearing waivers. But again, that assumes that there's no extra legalities to happen here. Um, from the fantasy angle, we talked about landing spots for Vander Kane preseason when it seemed pretty clear at that moment that his time as a shark was done. And I sort of threw out the idea that a contending team that doesn't need him and already has like a strong enough group that they think they can absorb him into their room and team and potentially just cut ties with him immediately if things don't work out. Um, that would be the sort of team looking for him. Like think about, by the way, we'll give some credit, I think to Carolina and Tony D'Angelo where, uh, you know, that was a lightning rod of a signing at the start of the season. I have not seen or heard Tony D'Angelo's name once outside of a Carolina hockey gamer score sheet. And I think that's to the credit of both team and player. So it seems to be working out for both of them, especially on that contract for Carolina's end. So we'll see if any team can uh, wants to try and play the same formula with Evander Kane. Of course, his uh, like his background is not awesome. Domestic violence allegations, uh, the gambling, the bankruptcy, breaking COVID protocols now. It doesn't seem like someone who should play first and address problems later at this point. But uh, all bets are off in the NHL. So we'll keep an eye on things. But I think the fantasy advice for right now is to not rush out and burn any kind of capital to get Evander Kane. Just wait and see how things play out. I can't see him going to a team where he's going to be in a leading offensive role. I feel like if anything, he ends up on a team, if he does end up anywhere, it'll be in the kind of role, this isn't a great analogy, but the kind of role that Vladimir Tarasenko was in in St. Louis to start the season, which Tarasenko made the most of, but I'm not sure uh, Evander Kane is going to be uh, able to even make as much of his. So, we're just going to leave it all there. Nothing to do now. And I don't think the upside is very high, even if Evander King does find a team to sign with. Wow. Okay. I don't know about that. I mean, he's played five games with the Barracuda and the AHL is eight points. Like he's clearly still got the talent. Last season, yeah. he was almost a point per game. Like he seems like he's a really good player. Uh, I, we don't need to speculate too much about yeah. where he'll end up and like what he'll do. Uh, if you have an NA spot, then I guess you can stash him. But you're right that I don't see anything happening imminently because like these teams might not want to take him. So anyways. Yeah. And for, for me, it, it was more like an opportunity question. It's not about talent. Like you put Evander Kane on the top line and I think he'll do really good things. 
things for you. But I just, I don't know that there's going to be a team that wants to invest in him that way. That's all. That's all I was saying. I hear you. He's had a great, great little tryout. Uh, All right. So regardless of all this, the Sharks without, like, not only without Evander Kane, without a bunch of big guns, Couture, Eric Carlson, Reimer, all out of the lineup recently, but they were still able to come back to beat Philly on Saturday in the 3-2 win on the back of a hat trick by Tomas Hurdle. Uh, Man, that line of Hurdle, Meyer and Barabanov just smoking lately. Don't be fooled by Barabanov's uh, pointless game yesterday. He was plus two. He took three shots. Like, clearly he was, you know, there on the ice, just happened to not get an assist on any of those Tomas Hurdle goals. I... Personally, I don't see this run of five points in Barabanov's last six games slowing down anytime soon, as long as he's on this line on the top power play. So go- going to next week, like I'm just as into Barabanov as I've been all season. Like uh, Any disagreement, Brian? No, none. I think he's done a, a nice job where he is. And like, of course, maybe not quite producing at the pace you just mentioned for Barabanov, but still seems like a pretty valuable guy. Thomas Schertl, by the way, unsung hero. I think he's frustrated so many fantasy managers who have tried him over the years, going back to the very start. Remember when he busted out with that four-goal game, and it was very quiet slash inconsistent for the next while, and took a while to break out. And then when once he did, there was still some inconsistencies and injuries going on, and then some plain old bad luck too. But Tomas Schrittel is really freaking good. So uh, some kudos to him for being as amazing as he's been lately and also for making uh, like for not making Barabanov uh, someone who could also be rosterable. But it does take someone really good like Tomas Hurdle and Timo Meyer. I'm not going to ignore Meyer here, but for Barabanov to be a legit sort of complimentary player uh, option the same way we look at guys like Michael Bunting or Alex Kerfoot, who we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah, uh, the Sharks are an interesting team now because going into the year, we were thinking of them as like not a contender, a team that was probably going to move Hurdle at the trade deadline. Now they're kind of doing okay. So I wonder what the plan's going to be because Hurdle is a UFA at the end of the season. So that'll be something to follow over the next couple of months. In net, uh, we've got Aiden Hill, who put up two straight amazing two goals against 30 plus save wins in Reimer's recent absence. Brian, uh, I guess it's the kind of thing where like I ask you, but like I obviously know that you don't know. But uh, to me, it seems like maybe this is enough for this Hill Reimer situation to be. Be back at square one when Reimer comes back, maybe a 50-50 tandem when Reimer returns? Or do you think it's still like Reimer's net when he comes back? Obviously, like Hill could just have a bad game in his next game and then this all goes out the window. But interesting to see that Hill's put up two good starts when given this opportunity. For sure. Good on Aiden Hill for taking advantage of what opportunity was there for him. The truth about Aiden Hill and, and James Reimer is that neither of them have been very good this year. They're both underplaying their expected Fenwick save percentages at five on five. And so neither one seems capable of taking over a number one job with any kind of certainty. And both Reimer and Hill have been plagued by inconsistency as long as we've known them. I think if one can outplay the other... It's Reimer outplays Hill, and we saw that for a bit. When, but when that's not happening, yeah, we can look at a 50-50 split, though I think San Jose was feeling pretty happy having an actual number one they could look to. Like the scars of Martin Jones remain, and Reimer was helping them move on for a little bit. Uh, and I think Reimer probably holds a 1A edge. And like you said, Aiden Hill, two good starts, but a, a bad one could be coming up. Honestly, the situation in San Jose feels a lot like the crease in Washington that we've been covering with Samsonov and Vanacek. And so I see a similar split here in San Jose with Reimer being the Samsonov and Hill being the Vanacek. And then who's the Fukali who just broke their record <laughs> for longest shutout streak for a rookie? It's a really great question. Who's backing up? Uh, who's backing up while Reimer's out? I think his name is Sachenko, Brian. Does that ring a bell to you? 
Yeah, Zach Sachenko, who's on an emergency loan. He's 24 years old. That's, All right. That's, that's what I know about him. I think he has like some kind of prospect pedigree uh, with the Barracuda this year in 859 over nine games. And last year's split time between the AHL and ECHL. So maybe, yeah, maybe he's the Zach Fucal in all of this situation. But can I go back to my Tomas Hurdle love fest? Uh, sure. We have, we have all the time in the world. Well, no, just because I didn't mention, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't mention any numbers and I just wanted to pull them up. 12 goals in 12 games for Tomas Hurdle plus six assists. So Hurdle has 18 points in his last 12. Uh, of course, 12 goals on 40 shots is uh, is a little much. But still, even if you regress the goal totals, 10 points in 12 games is probably about what he'd end up with. So Hurdle is looking real, real good. Okay, so the second fantasy hockey headline of the week is over in Minnesota, where the team is like half injured, basically. They were down half a team's worth of players, but still found a way to beat the Capitals 3-2 to two in the shootout yesterday. And I guess when I say they found a way, uh, one way is to get the team to score on themselves, because that's what the Capitals did to help Minnesota get back into that game. But either way, a win is a win. Obviously, the biggest name that's out right now is Kirill Kaprizov. Kind of weird messaging around his injury. Like, check out this tweet from Michael Russo yesterday. He said, Evison said it's hard to give a time frame on how long Kaprizov will be out, but we're hoping it's whenever we play next. I mean, like, Wait, usually when an injury doesn't have a timeline, that means it's going to be at least a little while. But now they're saying, but he might be back like the next game. And to be fair, Minnesota actually doesn't play until next Friday. So, you know, I guess it's somewhat of a decent amount of time for Kaprizov to heal. But I mean, that would be amazing. And then it's almost as if this injury was like a little helpful to his fantasy managers because you get to stash him in your IR until Friday and then take him out for that one game that Minnesota plays next week. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know what to, to make with this. I guess we'll have to wait for more updates on this Kaprizov. Kaprizov injury situation. Uh, then like, some more injuries. Joel Erickson Egg, Greenway out in the forward group. Kind of a whiplash for Kevin Fiala managers this week, right? Because earlier in the week, we got news about Marco Rossi and Matthew Boldy coming up, which Ben and Lewis talked about on a short shifts episode. And we were talking about how, oh man, Fiala's not even on the top power play. Like, even with all these people coming up, like Fiala's still bumped. Like, this is not a great situation for him. But then, like, there were more injuries, whatever. Fiala did end up getting a line one and power play one spot. And he's started to to get on a roll he's got five points in his last four games and if you recall brian last season fiala started slow and ended on this crazy hot run brian is this the start maybe of history repeating itself or more just fiala capitalizing on some injury issues and he'll go back to disappointing everyone once everyone comes back Fiala is such an interesting guy because even when the spotlight should be on him for all the right reasons, like Fiala, here's your shot to fill in Kirill Kaprizov's uh, roster spot and his production, which we've seen you capable of, uh, at least almost of, of filling Kaprizov's skates before. Uh, last game for Fiala, he got stapled to the bench after some undisciplined play. This guy just cannot endear himself to coaches. He always seems to be underdeployed and on the outs and in a doghouse, even though he is probably the second most offensively talented player on the wild. That's not good enough, and it hasn't been for him anywhere he's played. So at some point, like, I'm interested to know exactly what exactly it is about Kevin Fiala that coaches don't like. And before getting any any deeper into Fiala, I'm just going to say, I'm not sure, Elon, I, I challenge you and anyone listening to name one player whose singular absence deals as much collateral fantasy damage as Kirill Kaprizov. If he's out, and that feels 
It's going to hurt Hartman. It's going to hurt Zuccarello. It's going to hurt Goligoski. It's going to hurt whoever's quarterbacking the top power play. Like Kaprizov is such a huge part of the wild offense. He was in on 40 of Minnesota's 115 goals before he got injured. So more than one out of every three goals has Kaprizov on the score line in Minnesota. So I'm just worried in general for anybody who has those guys. I'm not just worried for the Kaprizov havers, which I'm definitely worried for you. And I'm sorry, I'm one of you. And it's a real big bummer. But also anybody who has Minnesota Wild on their roster, especially with this long layoff, I'm not saying drop them, but it is, uh, it's tough. It's going to be tough. So keep an eye if Kaprizov is out for extended time, what you feel like you're going to do with your Hartmans and your Zuccarellos who are good, but they definitely take a hit with Kaprizov out. But looking at Fiala, who could be the one wild player to get a bump, like he's taking up the space in my head previously occupied by someone like Ricard Raquel, where the numbers always look good with Fiala, and then the production always looks like it should come, but then it's crickets on the score sheet for two long periods of time that leave you wondering. That's described half seasons for Fiala, but the bottom line is that the production to me, still should appear the same way I've always said for Raquel. Everything looks good. He just needs opportunity and time for some bad variants to, you know, run out and and normalize and regress. And I think, I think we're going to get there. I think especially getting this better deployment is going to help Fiala get out of the slump. Like the production has started to appear. I'm not doubting that Kevin Fiala is any good. Like you're asking, is this just a flash in the pan and he's going to go back to not doing anything? No, I think the not doing anything was the unsustainable part compared to his recent run that should be sustainable. The biggest concern for me about Kevin Fiala is what I said earlier about keeping himself in the good favor of coaches and how that impacts his deployment and opportunity. Fiala is a legit 65-point player when things are going right and when he's getting even just half-decent deployment, as was the case last year and for much of this year, Fiala's a 70-plus point guy when he's getting fully decent deployment, which he should be with Kaprizov out of the lineup. So hopefully he gets that and rewards anybody who's been patient with him all season long. Yeah, well, he has so far. So I think you said that everyone is hurt by Kaprizov being out. I think it's except Fiala. He's the one who's now on a hot streak with Kaprizov out. So maybe those people are saying, well, take your time, uh, Kirill, like heal properly. But we'll have to see how this shakes out. And then maybe one day everyone will be healthy. It'll be interesting to see if Fiala can take any confidence he's gained during this stretch. Uh, Interestingly, again, with Marco Rossi, like he's the guy that everyone was rushing for back when he got called up along with Boldy. Uh, The initial news was that Rossi was going to be, I think, on the second line and Boldy on the third line. And Rossi was going to be on the top power play uh but then that was for thursday's game on saturday's game it kind of swapped boldy's the one who got the better deployment including top power play in 20 plus minutes overall compared to rossi playing less than 15 minutes in that game uh boldy scored in his first game was pointless yesterday but like barabanov he was plus two so he was like in a good spot just didn't happen to get in on a couple of the goals uh so to anyone who rushed to grab rossi maybe it's time to switch over if you can or maybe if they're both available and you're waiting until friday to grab one like brian do you have a, a hunch right now of who you like better like to me i'd say drop them both right now in your one-year leagues because they don't play till friday but you know at some point friday will come and you might want to add one of these guys because they clearly have big upside since they have the high pedigrees and to add a little more color about where both boldy and rossi are at a few hours ago elon so we'd already done our prep and research for the show but the wild have reassigned rossi to iowa and have put matt boldy on the taxi squad 
along with Andrew Hammond, which either means that Cam Talbot is coming back or it's like a paper transaction. I haven't really figured out this taxi squad business yet and how much I should re- read into it. Although I maybe I will read into the fact that Rossi is going to play games in Iowa and Boldy's staying on the taxi squad. I don't know. I think it might be more of a paper transaction. Like, like I said, like Minnesota doesn't play now for like five days. Yeah. So they could like change all this around by, by the time they play again. So personally, I'm not reading anything into all that. All right. Well, if I have to, if I assume that both Boldy and Rossi are with the big club come Friday, who do I want? Well, Boldy has 28 points in 24 AHL games over the last couple of years. Rossi has 23 points in 21 AHL games this season. So they've both seen a lot of AHL success without a lot of chance to strut their stuff in the NHL. So I would really just look to the guy with better deployment, which as you described, is Matt Boldy. So I would go Boldy over Rossi. And just keep an eye on things. I I also think these guys are collateral, though, because we were looking at both Boldy and Rossi and saying, oh, which one might have a chance to play with Kirill Kaprizov or get on the top power play? And that opportunity just isn't the same as it once was like a week ago or three days ago. Well, they get to play with your favorite guy, Kevin Fiala, Brian. That could be pretty good. (laughs) All right. So then also, like I said, the defense are injured. Spurgeon, Brodeen, both out at the moment. Alex Galagossi got a shot on the top power play for a game before going into COVID protocol himself. So then it was Kalen Addison that I think was on the top power play in the last game forever. It's worth, uh, again, with Minnesota not playing till Friday, I'd assume that Galagoski will be off the COVID protocol, assuming he's not like actually seriously sick, which generally that hasn't been the case for a lot of these players going into the protocol. Uh, I guess if we talked about Galagoski this season, maybe we did a while ago, like he's having a career year at age 36. It's pretty wild. He's got 21 points in 29 games. That's a 59 point pace. So Brian, how for real is this Galagoski season looking for you? And if, uh, you know, Friday comes, he's back in the lineup. And if... Spurgeon and Brodeen are both still out and Goligoski is going on the top power play. He, does he become someone that you, you rush to grab? Or is this another, like you said, when Kaprizov's out, you don't even care about the top power play on Minnesota? Well, it definitely hurts Goligoski that Kaprizov isn't in the lineup. I, I don't think his production this year so far has been very much for real. Like, Goligoski looks the same. And we have talked about him a couple times because he's gone on these runs this season. I mean, he's been on a pretty steady one the whole way through. But everything about him looks the same as always under the hood. But Goligoski's doubling his usual assist rates at five on five, in part thanks to a slightly juiced points participation rate, and in part thanks to an unsustainable 13% on-ice shooting percentage, which, yeah, I assume will go down without Kaprizov in the lineup. The crazy thing about Goligoski suddenly putting up points now at this stage in his career is that he's putting up all these points in a season where Goligoski has seen a huge drop in time on ice. He used to see 23 minutes a night. He's now seeing fewer than 20 minutes a night for the first time since his rookie season back in 2008-2009. So it's fun to have gotten points from Goligoski. And if he does stay quarterbacking the top power play, yeah, maybe he's worth making space for on your roster. Uh, Maybe... He's a possible 40 to 45 point option instead of the 35 to 40 point option. We've always considered him. I'm not looking to get rid of anyone interesting on my roster, though to clear space to add him. And actually, you mentioned very quickly, Kalen Addison was on the top power play last night. He saw a hundred, there was one line that was out there for the full power play. Kalen Addison was quarterbacking that top unit uh, who got called up from the Iowa Wild and has not yet been sent back or onto the taxi squad. Uh, if anyone isn't familiar with Kalen Addison, 
second round, 53rd overall pick of the Pittsburgh Penguins back in 2018. That was traded to the wild as part of the Jason Zucker deal. And uh, I tapped our friend Victor Nuno on the shoulder of Fantasy Hockey Life, who we did that collab episode with not long ago, which was awesome. If you haven't listened to it, you should. And Victor mentioned that Kalen Addison is in his top 15 list of defensemen who've played fewer than 100 games and has this big offensive up to upside as an offensive defenseman. Of course, Addison has not had a ton of opportunity in the NHL so far, but in Iowa, he has 31 points in 48 AHL career games, which is pretty good. Victor also mentioned that Addison is not like your one-dimensional Barry or Yandel type. Like, he's good defensively, so the coach should like him. And for that reason, Addison's in line to quarterback the Minnesota power play for years to come. But at age 21, we're not quite sure that's going to be his job just at this moment. He's born in the year 2000, Elon, and he's already 21. And even if it is Kalen Addison's job, obviously, to quarterback the top power play, we'll see. I mean, I, I don't, I'm repeating myself at this point, but we'll just see how fruitful a place that is. But honestly, so long as he's on the top power play, I might give him a try and see how he goes on my fantasy roster. Sure. I mean, he's on the top power play as like the fourth option at this point. So I don't know how likely it is that he's still there, but I guess it's possible. Yeah. Who else in Minnesota has done well on the power play from the blue line this year? I don't know. I guess Brodeen had a decent run, but uh, yeah. So you're saying that he's next. Definitely in the future, maybe this year. Obviously, he's someone that you can pay attention to and remember that Keeping Carlson told you first, or Fantasy Hockey Life probably told you first. It's premature to go run out. Like, think of like Scott Prunovich, right, in St. Louis, who got an opportunity, a brief one, didn't do a whole lot with it. But we all thought maybe, maybe he could. And I feel similarly about Caitlin Addison, that there hasn't been anyone really great doing well quarterbacking that top unit. So if he makes the most of what's likely to be a pretty short opportunity but if he gives minnesota no reason to send him back then maybe he holds on for a little bit maybe yeah matt dumba i don't know why he never gets a shot he's always on power play too but anyway all right let's go to the next headline We've got some line shakeups in calgary and this may all be moot because calgary only plays one game next week on thursday so who knows if they change things up by that game or after that game but i thought it would be an interesting time to take a look at what's going on in calgary lately uh, their last game was on friday they lost 6-3 to carolina and in this game johnny and Monty were reunited to play with manjapani what a fun three names to say together uh well blake coleman got the promotion to the top line to play with Elias Lindholm and Matthew Kachuk. Uh, Coleman definitely thriving in his new role. He's got four points in four games in 2022, including a goal, an assist, and five shots in that game versus Carolina. He also had a 12-shot game earlier in the week versus Florida. Uh, on the opposite side, Mangiapane's really cooled off after his hot start. He's pointless in four, only has one goal in his last eight games. And for completion of these non-superstar top sixers, I could mention that Sean Monahan has started to get going a little bit. Four points in his last six games. So, like I said, and like Minnesota, Calgary only plays one time next week on Thursday. So I think now is a good time to assess these guys, whether or not you want to still hold on. Like, you know, looking at Manjapani, like, yeah, he gets to play with Goudreau. Like, it's actually kind of a good situation for everyone, you know? Like, when you split up a good top line with three good players, all of a sudden you give opportunities to all these other players to play with good players. So now Manjapani gets to play with... Gaudreau, but he's also super cold. So is he someone that you hold on for a whole week only to play one game? And then on the flip side, Blake Coleman, if you have him or if he's available, is he someone you want to have on your roster just in case he can keep up this amazing deployment, especially if he sticks with Kachuk and with Lindholm? So what do you think about these two guys? And I guess you could also comment on Monahan if you want, but to me, he's like super boring. I'm not interested. 
Yeah, Sean Monaghan is still boring. Sean Monaghan, four points in six games is an improvement for him, but it's still not a very good full season look, and I don't know how long he stays up with Johnny and Manjapani. Uh, speaking of Manjapani, did you know, Elon, that Manjapani has 21 points this season, 18 of those coming from goals, just three assists out of 21 points for Andrew Manjapani. He has just a single assist in the last two months. That's 23 games for Manjapani. So, and he only takes a couple shots per game too, which isn't a great attribute for someone who doesn't do much dishing or setting up teammates. So I still like Manjapani as a streamer and his new line is interesting, but he's not worth holding to me during this quiet period for Calgary. Blake Coleman is someone that if I were inclined to hold someone between Coleman and Manjapani, I'd be more interested in holding Blake Coleman 35 shots in his last 10 games alone. That makes him rosterable when the Flames are playing. Yes, that big 12-shot game was big, but he's also been putting up a pretty decent shot volume all season long. Uh, You know, if Blake Coleman can put up 35 shots again in his next 10, scores on 10% of those, that's three or four goals right there. Not to mention 27 hits for Coleman over his last 10. That's almost three hits per game. And playing with Lindholm and Kachuk is really interesting for him. It's a tough call about if you added Blake Coleman to get in on some of this action, what to do with him. Of course, a lot of this depends on the replacement value of, uh, you know, the best player available in free agency and how Coleman compares to them. Uh, I don't think Coleman is quite worth holding for the entirety of a one game week, but I do think that Coleman is somebody to keep on your watch list, keep close by and stream in for that Thursday game and then potentially hold on until Calgary has some more games to play next week. Uh, You know, because if Coleman is shooting and playing up with Lindholm and Kachuk, That's good. Of course, the downside for Coleman and the reason why I think you could probably drop him between now and Thursday is that he has no meaningful power play role. The last couple games, he's seen some power play two time, but that's still pretty unexciting. Elon, I'm curious if you agree. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, also, there's the general advice we give of like, do you need to win this week? Are you already in a good spot? And you can think more long term. Also, like I said, they lost their last game, right? It's possible that Sutter goes and changes up all the lines, goes back to stacking Lindholm with Kachuk and Gaudreau and leaving Coleman a bit out in the cold. So yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's a really good spot for him. If he's there, and and if Calgary's playing, I want him. So it's just a matter of if you want to take the risk of dropping him and trying to get him back. And we'll see if that lasts. Uh, Speaking of lines in Calgary, also, it's interesting to point out that Oliver Shillington seems to be seeing more power play time himself lately he's on a hot run with four points his last five games and he was i think quarterbacking the top power play in calgary's last game over rasmus anderson so shillington someone who was on a hot run before we've talked about him a bunch on the podcast and we said yeah he looks like he's pretty pretty offensively inclined but you know you don't want to expect too much from a guy who's not like a power play guy but all of a sudden if you've got a defenseman who's on the top power play in calgary now you've really got my attention so shillington's 19 points in 32 games it's a 49 point pace he's another person that if he was available right now or if i had him you know like it'd be hard to not want to grab him now and see if it holds because if he holds on to that top power play spot that could be really interesting for the second half of the year yeah for sure and i don't see why we wouldn't assume that chillington has a really good chance of being the guy on the top power play the rest of the year i've seen that daryl sutter has not been terribly enamored with rasmus anderson's play as a whole right now so if you were someone remember last week we were talking about noah dobson if you were holding on to dobson through the aisles off weeks, then yeah, you can hold Shillington 
if you were on Team Hold Dobson there. And if you weren't into holding Dobson, I think you still should definitely consider holding Shillington. I think there's a really exciting prospect that he is a top power play quarterback the rest of the season, and it might be worth uh, having him burn a hole in your roster for, for a few games while you wait to find out. Yeah, or at least be the first one to grab him if you want to play chicken with the rest of your league. Though I will say, Brian, with all due respect, uh, I'm going to say that I think Dobson is like an, a level above. I understand. I remember okay. all that you said and thought last episode. And I'm not I'm not even necessarily disagreeing. Fair. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just wanted to put it out there. Uh, speaking of line changes, we're another week into the new lines in Boston. And so far, so good. Two wins in three games this past week, including a 5-2 victory over the defending cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning on Saturday. On last week's show, you were saying you didn't expect line two pasta to last. Has another week of it lasting, you know, changed your mind on this? Or if not, like, I'm curious to know, like, how much time would you need to see Pasternak not with Marshawn and Bergeron to start thinking that maybe this could be a more permanent thing? Well, Elon, last week I said, yeah, there was no way that this was going to last because we've seen the pasta online to experiment last one to three games before. But now we're in this brave new world where Boston, I mean, they had David Krejci before, but now they have Taylor Hall and maybe they are more capable of rolling two full scoring lines, which it's been a long time since Boston has been able to do that. I wonder if anyone can go back and tell me. I, I, I did a little bit of research before the show, but I didn't go far back enough to actually find a really great Boston second line and know who's on it. So feel free to tweet us at Keeping Carlson if you remember when Boston had a strong second line and who was on it. But yeah, you've got Pasternak and Taylor Hall and Eric Howla in the middle. You know, I'm starting to think this could work. And it no great detriment to Pasternak with possible gains for Taylor Hall, Eric Halla, and Craig Smith. I actually added Eric Halla in one league myself and would expect uh, some savvy folks, especially those listening to the show, to be adding him to get ready for next week's matchup too. Seems like Halla's in a great spot. I'd love to see him get a chance to do with Hall and Pasternak what he did with James Neal and David Perron back in Vegas's inaugural season. But that's, uh, that's going further than you asked. Elon, you asked me if I thought the second line can stick. Well, I guess by saying you should add Hala is saying, yeah, I think there is a chance. Okay. And yeah, I think that you were very savvy to add Hala because Boston has a great schedule next week. And a lot of teams, we've mentioned some teams that only play one time. Then we've got Boston. Currently, at least, like I said at the start of the show, the schedule changes all the time. Currently, Boston's scheduled to play Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. So a really nice schedule, especially, you know, four games in three days to start the week, or I should say three games in four days. You guys all get what I'm saying. And yeah, so regardless of the lines, Brian, one thing that you did get correctly last week is you said that you're not worried about Pasternak. And hey, he, like you said, he's doing just fine on this second line with Hall and Haula. He potted three goals in three games last week, including two versus Tampa in that Saturday game. Great news, like you said, for Taylor Hall and Haula. Like Hall's two assists on Pasta's goals yesterday brought Hall to six points in his last five games. Haula's assist extended a point streak that he's on to four games. Meanwhile, actually, the one guy we were kind of salivating the most over last week, Craig Smith, he went pointless last week, even though he was playing with Marshawn and Bergeron. So obviously these small sample sizes are hard to predict, or maybe we were just wrong. But yeah, kind of a similar situation as in Calgary, right? Like again, the three top guys have been split up and now all of a sudden we have three new players to be excited about that are playing with some of these good players like i said boston has a good schedule so we've got to recommend i think going after any of hall smith howla if any of them are available they're in the top six playing with either pasternak or with marshawn and bergeron that's got to be 
players that you target if you want to stream and be successful in fantasy. So, Brian, how are you going to order these guys? I assume you're going to put Hall first. We actually had a question from patron Edward asking, can you guys discuss Hall's recent bounce back tomorrow? Is it all pasta driven? Uh, so, yeah, what do you think about Hall, Smith, Howla moving forward if you only have room for one Boston stream and all are available? Uh, that's a tough one. I'll tell you why it's a tough one, and it's not. So, obviously, Taylor Hall. I mean, six points in his last five games for Taylor Hall and five points at even strength since pasta joined his line. So, I would say a lot of Hall's recent production is Pasternak driven, but one thing to watch for, and the reason I'm hesitant to anoint Hall as the must-have of this trio of Boston players, is that Taylor Hall has taken just three shots on goal in his last three games, which makes sense when you consider it in tandem with Pasternak's shooting over the last three games, where Pasternak has 16 shots over the last three games. It's not like Taylor Hall was shooting the lights out before. He was only averaging two and a half shots per game. Disappointing because we're used to seeing him average three and a half shots per game. But with Pasternak as a line mate, Hall, again, just three shots total in his last three games. And it's probably safe to expect that that might continue as Hall defers to Pasternak to be the shooter on the line. So that's why uh, Taylor Hall is not the slam dunk leader of this group. Although I think I still will take him first just because he's Taylor freaking Hall. And I believe him to be more talented than Craig Smith or Eric Halla. And then I'll go Smith, uh, Craig Smith, and then I'll go Eric Halla. Uh, But it's really close between them all. And honestly, if you can just get one of the three, anyone, that's great. Don't feel bad about it. If you can get two of the three, get two. Uh, if you want to get all three, why not? Right? Boston has a great schedule, but they are pretty even to me. But I would probably add them in the order of Hall, Smith, Halla. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I guess you could get all three. But of course, then the following week, Boston only plays Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, all busy days. So maybe then you'll be like, oh, now what am I going to do with all these like peripheral Boston guys? So yeah, obviously depends on your roster. But I, I like your breakdown. And yeah, it's interesting. Hall on a hot streak. Uh, like above the water but under the water maybe it's not looking as, as pretty but again he's playing with Pasternak so he'll probably be able to dish to him and get assists at the very least I'm just curious would you rate your three the same way I'm actually thinking on my cupful team that's the keeping Carlson ultimate patron fantasy league kkupfl.com <laughs> I think I added Haula and Craig Smith might have been available I think I would have gone Craig Smith over even though smith is cold i think this is a case not to say he's like do like dave Benton from the stream scheme would say but more just like i'd prefer the person playing with marshawn and bergeron over the person playing with pasternak and hall which is like both like they sound really good especially this is like a couple years ago then both would sound like amazing spots to be in uh so yeah i think that i would go smith but again i think it's close yeah. like you said well, Elon, I'm glad to say that uh, my actions reflect my words. And uh, looking back at the Kukupful transaction history, I see that I added Hala just an hour after Craig Smith was already gone. Ah, so I don't know if your actions really matched your words, you would have rushed faster to get Craig Smith. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I don't know what I was doing an hour before that I couldn't go ahead and get Craig Smith. <laughs> Uh, clearly uh, not the full-on robot that I, I promote you as with having a life outside of fantasy hockey. But okay, uh, uh, still on the Bruins, Ben and Lewis on short shifts covered the whole Tuka Rask situation. He potentially could play in one of these four games coming up next week. Uh, their conclusion was that Rask is likely being over-added right now, and he's likely just going to be like a 50% goalie, you'd think, considering there are two other goalies out there. Also, Rask is coming off his big surgery. Also, he's 34 years old. Also, he didn't have such a great season last year. So obviously, there's lots of... I'm giving the negatives, right? <laughs> Like there's lots of positive reasons to expect Tuka Rask to be awesome because he's Tuka Rask, but uh, I still kind of think that I agree with Ben and Lewis that he's like a probably a fifty fifty goalie or maybe more like fifty 
30, 20, however it works out. You know, I don't expect him to see more than half the games, which doesn't make him too exciting to me. Do you concur? I concur. Okay. Uh, So we've now got a bunch more stuff to talk about, including some hot streaks, some backup goalies that are really jumping up on our radar. So we'll get to all that in just a sec. Thank you for listening to Keith and Carlson. Okay, we are back. And like I said, Brian, I wanted to talk about some more goalies here. We just talked about Tuka Rask, kind of. You just basically said, I concur. But I think that counts as a conversation. Uh, so I mentioned before how I was having whiplash with how people were feeling about Kevin Fiala over this past week. How about Darcy Kemper? We did our goalie episode two, three weeks ago, and we talked about how disappointing Kemper has been. Then he basically, I think, listened to the episode, told us to F off, went on an amazing run of seven straight starts and wins from December 8th to before yesterday's game five of those seven wins were 925 save percentage or higher he just went on this amazing roll uh then yesterday the leafs came into town and ruined all the fun they chased camper with three goals on eight shots i was out before that game yesterday i was ready to come on the podcast and be like brian do we need to reassess how we felt about darcy camper now all of a sudden it's a whole different narrative because Kemper got chased. Pavel Francouz came in for only a second appearance of the season and the man slayed. He stopped 18 of 19 shots and called out his big comeback win. Clearly a big reason why they were able to win that game. And now next week, super interesting in Colorado because this tandem has two back-to-back games next week. Colorado plays Monday, Tuesday versus Seattle and Nashville. And then again, Friday, Saturday versus Arizona twice. So you'd imagine both goalies will likely each just play in both of those back-to-backs. So we'll see two games from each of Kemper and Francois, and that's going to give us some valuable data to project how things could look moving forward. Like, if Francois can continue to build on this great game he just had, then all of a sudden, maybe he does have to be considered as a tandem guy, and if Kemper could just get back to what he was doing before and Francois struggles, then, we, you know, we could be pretty confident that Kemper is a starter, and obviously then things can change again after that, but I'm really interested to see what happens next week. Uh, the one takeaway I will say is that if you need a goalie, I feel like Francois has got to be a clear ad right now, right? Like, first of all, he's coming off this great game. He's pretty much guaranteed two games next week, which is better than probably any goalie stream you'll be able to have in even a somewhat deep league. So are you with me that Francois is someone people really got to grab if they want to get goalie starts next week? And then how do you see this tandem shaking out? Although, again, this is kind of like my question I asked you earlier about another goalie tandem. Which one was it? In San Jose Hill and Reimer. Like, obviously, it depends how they play. But, you know, Kemper is someone that I we'd finally come around to him being like, this guy's really awesome. And then, you know, then he struggled a little bit in that last season in Arizona and then he had a bit of struggles in Colorado but now recently he's shown us that he's Darcy Kemper and he's like Colorado paid that high draft pick to get him for a reason and yeah he's coming off a really good month aside from that game against Toronto. Elon there were so many ifs in your introduction to like the scenario in Colorado like if Francis plays really well this week and then if Kemper doesn't like just those two ifs alone are enough to say, I don't know. Those are two very big ifs, and I don't know the answers. You're right that Kemper, we had come around to him being a good goalie, and he's had a bit of a disappointing recent track record in Arizona, his last season there. I'm willing to chalk that up to maybe he wasn't fully healthy. His season so far in Colorado, I'm willing to say, hey, new team, no new system. You got to get used to the way, uh, like we've talked about how goalies have to adjust and mesh with the way the teams play in front of them. I think Bobrovsky was a big example yeah. of that that we've brought up in the past. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, there's reason to excuse what Darcy Kemper has done. And you were actually, if I remember right, Elon, a few days ago on our patrons only discord server, you were ready to like excuse Kemper completely and be like, oh man, like he's amazing. I forgive everything he's done because of the seven game run. 
anything can happen over the short term. I think the easy conclusion to, to get from this is in this following fantasy week, you've got Kemper and Franco's probably playing the same amount of games. And yeah, maybe they are battling to see who gets the lion's share of starts in the following week. So keep an eye on things. You can go out and get Franco's because he's going to play as often as Kemper. So if Kemper is rostered in your format, then why wouldn't you try and get some goalie starts from Franco's? And of course, this is all the more important if you're in a format where you're really starved for goalie starts too. But I'm not willing to write off Kemper because of that last bad game or like all the other bad stuff we've seen from him later. I'd say the last game was a setback for Kemper rather than, you know, a total crash and burnout. Yeah, I agree with you. So I didn't want to, when I was setting up the question, you know, put my foot on the scale. I'm going to say if I had to bet, I think Kemper is going to continue to be the starter. I think he's shown himself to be a really good goalie. And obviously, Francois, we haven't seen so much from him. But just my gut feeling is like next week, regardless of kind of what happens, I think long term, Kemper is still the guy and I wouldn't be too nervous. But that said also, I would definitely be interested in grabbing Francois. I will be very shocked. Like you're saying if you need starts, also if you need wins, like I'll be very shocked if Colorado doesn't beat Arizona in both of those games to end the week. Uh, that would be a huge upset otherwise. Uh, and then and the other goal I wanted to talk about, okay, this is really small sample, okay? It's only one game. But my interest is definitely piqued by Cal Peterson after his 21 safe shutout of the Red Wings on Saturday. This was Peterson's first start since December 6th, his first win since November 27th. So you might be thinking, Elon, get over it. Like, this is clearly, uh, like, a uh, very rarely playing backup. This is David Riddick, except in LA. Except, like... You know, Peterson was the guy coming into the season that we expected to be the starter, not Jonathan Quick. And, like, Peterson signed a three-year contract extension that starts next year for a pretty sizable chunk of money. So you would got to think that McClellan will want to try to build on this good start from Peterson, not, like, make him wait another month for his next start. So, yeah, I'm just interested to see what's going to happen here in L.A. Do you think that I'm reading too much into one shutout from a goalie that's basically not played for the past couple of of months or are you with me if this is something to watch and maybe this could be the start of peterson starting to sneak back and get some of those games that quick keep stealing from him i'm very much with you elon all season as like as long as kit quick has been doing as well as he's been doing and especially over the last month or so where there have been a few more uh, struggles and bad outings for jonathan quick every time i see a quick bad start I make sure that Cal Peterson, right? Check if Cal Peterson's available in the league and uh, add him to my watch list. I definitely have interest in Cal Peterson, especially now with Jonathan Quick uh, running a 2 3 0 record with an 861 save percentage over his last five appearances. Uh, look, we're not going to pat ourselves on the back for saying Jonathan Quick's stellar play wasn't going to last forever, but he's really struggling at the moment to play well or consistently well. And all things equal, I still think Peterson is the better goalie in LA. It's just a matter of him now because Quick has played so well. Peterson, A, needs the opportunity, and B, needs to prove it with the opportunity he gets that he is the better goalie for Jonathan than Jonathan Quick. And we're seeing small steps taken for both points A and B right now by Cal Peterson. So I definitely see where you're coming from, Elon, and I'm with you. I'm like, it's not a fate accompli here that Cal Peterson is going to overtake Jonathan Quick, but it definitely is something to keep an eye on. Uh, anytime, again, you should be doing what I'm doing. Anytime Quick has a bad start, Go see how often it's happened recently and then see how far away you are from thinking that adding Cal Peterson is a good idea uh, because with every bad quick start, it becomes a better and better idea to put him on your roster. 
Yeah, I guess the thing is, sure, Peterson just shut out the Red Wings. So sure, Tom McClellan might be like, okay, let's give this guy another shot. Then it's actually up to Cal Peterson to do well in the next game, which is something he hasn't been able to do this year. So obviously that's the next thing. Uh, but I would grab him just because, like I'm saying, like once he is announced to start the next game and you need to stream in a goalie anyways, maybe if you're like 50-50 on which goalie to add, just go with Peterson because there is that chance that if he plays well again, maybe he slowly starts to become a starter as opposed to, you know, if you stream in the backup on Florida or whatever, you know, it's like obviously not going to be something that's going to last even if he has a good game uh so since we're in la let's stop down here let's get comfortable i have a couple players i want to talk to you about on the forward core and i want to start with andre kopitar who slowed down quite a bit after his hot start he had no points in la's win yesterday he now sits at only one assist in his last four games taking a longer back look at his production i'm counting only five points in kopitar's last 12 games and if you look at the overall points in the season we see 29 points in 35 games and you know what that's like decent like that's pretty good but i wonder if that's even like not super representative of the season he's had because he started the year with a five point game so just take out that one game and just look at his last 34 games we're seeing 24 points in 34 games for all of the season aside from the first game or maybe just like the defense on the other team was bad or something that's only a 58 point pace for the majority of the season for Andre Kopitar so Brian did perhaps that explosive start to the year hide from us the fact that Kopitar seems to be slowing down a little bit in his age 34 season or is it just a matter of him having been unlucky lately and we should still totally expect him to be the 70 plus point guy that he's been seemingly forever at this point much more the latter than the former. I still have faith in Anze Kopitar, and of course he's cooled down a little. We never thought he'd keep up his super crazy start, right? He, I think he led the season, Elon, on keeping Carlson when he just burst out of the gates with one of the most eye-opening performances over the first fantasy week and was pacing for over 100 points for the season, which we knew wasn't going to last. We did wonder for sure if maybe uh, Kopitar even at age 34, could still put up a point per game. And it's been four seasons since Kopitar last did that. So he was 30. He was a, a young man, and now he's an old man at age 34. At this point, though, what we're seeing from Kopitar is we're seeing him settle right back into that 70-ish point pace that he's been in in the last couple of years. So I still do think that's about what's reasonable to expect for Kopitar the rest of the way. And Elon, if anything, I will say... I'm still going to expect more than 70 points from Kopitar rather than less, even though he has slowed down lately. And the reason why I would take the over on 70 points rest of season for Kopitar as a pace is because Kopitar's on-ice expected goals rates are at a career-high 3 per 60 minutes compared to the like two and a quarter-ish he's had in the last three seasons. And yet, Kopitar's on-ice shooting percentage is a career-low at five on five. So I see Kopitar having more offensive opportunity, uh, like the Kings having more offensive opportunity with Kopitar on the ice than Kopitar has seen in a long, long time. And uh, he hasn't been able to capitalize because the shooting percentage is down uh, for everyone. So usually that's not going to sustain. Like I believe the expected goals number is more likely to sustain than the low shooting percentage number for Kopitar and his teammates while he's on the ice. So actually, I think maybe this isn't a bad time to buy on him. If you do find anyone thinking he's really sinking fast and they want to get out from Kopitar before he really collapses, uh, that might be somebody that you want to talk to and see if you can buy Kopitar as like a 70 point player. Interesting. Okay, cool. I really like that advice. And if you're saying that it's just bad luck, hey, that's why I asked. Great answer. Let's find out if you're right. I guess all we need to do is for that shooting percentage to improve, which generally is what you can expect to happen. Uh, by the way, one guy who's come up and maybe is going to help 
get Kopitar going is not Vladimir Kachev, like I was predicting or suggesting could happen last week or a couple of weeks ago, but it's someone else that's come up from the AHL named Martin Furk, who joined the big club on Thursday, went right to the top line in top power play, scored a goal versus Nashville, had a quiet game on Saturday versus Detroit, but still, LA plays next week on Monday, Thursday, Saturday, again, as of now. If you want to stream to start the week, how excited would you be about adding Furk and his primo deploymento to get that Monday game and then, you know, go from there? I would be kind of interested in Martin Furk because of that primo deploymento. By the way, he was loaned to the taxi squad today. I know these taxi squad updates don't mean much, but let's take note of all the guys we're talking about being loaned to the taxi squad and seeing what kind of impact it had on how much ice they saw in the rest of the week. But Ferk is not, uh, he's no spring chicken, right? He's 28 years old. He had one power play goal with six shots and four hits in his season debut with the Kings after being called up by the Ontario Reign. He followed up that really great performance with another game where he saw top line, top power play deployment, but nothing of consequence on Ferk's stat sheet. Of course, I like his deployment. And Ferk, if, if you are like, huh, where have I heard that name before? He set a record for the hardest shot ever taken as measured by the NHL or certified by the NHL. He put up a shot that was 109.2 miles per hour at the AHL All-Star Game in 2020. And he's been great in the AHL. Martin Furk is an above a point per game player in the AHL in his last three seasons. So yeah, I'm interested. He's on my radar for sure. I'm not yet sure if Furk has this NHL upside or is just going to be one of those guys like Jason Doig, who dominates the AHL, but whose game just doesn't translate to the NHL level. But I don't think Furk is going to get too many better opportunities in this one. So yeah, I'm interested in Ferk if he plays again as a quick stream to see what happens. And a little like subheading to all this Ferk talk is that Dustin Brown has not worked himself up back to the top line. We're seeing Martin Ferk get get a turn in his place, even with Alex Iafalo out because of COVID protocols. Brown has still actually put up some half decent production from what looks to be like the third line in LA. But it's worth mentioning that Dustin Brown is not the automatic get back up to top line. And that means that maybe Ferk does have a little bit of time to audition here in this spot. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how he does. Of course, we'll have to find out if he actually is on the taxi squad or if it's a paper transaction. So we'll find out on Monday. Maybe if you're listening to this podcast thinking of adding him, definitely wait until there's a tweet confirmation. You know, we'll retweet at game day lines, you know, when LA tweets out their lines. Sometimes they don't do that until right before game time. So you might have to wait till late at night. But that would be something to consider. And, you know, first find out if he's actually going to be playing. Another one of these players, like you said, Jason Doig or Martin Furk, who seems to do really well in the AHL. And I'm curious why they're never getting a shot. There's this guy on Carolina, or I guess on the Chicago Wolves, Carolina's minor league team, Andrew Poturalski. He's currently leading the AHL in points. He got called up by Carolina just like late in December, I guess because of all the players missing. He had two assists in two games. Like, I was looking at him in my dynasty. Like, this guy's crushing the AHL. He came up, he did well in the NHL, then he got sent back down, and now that's it. And it's like, sometimes I wonder with these people, like, I just get this feeling, like, if Andrew Poturalski got a shot, he would probably get some points. So I don't know. 
It annoys me a little bit. I haven't even added him in my dynasty leagues. It's like he's already he's been doing well every year, and he never gets an opportunity. I feel like some teams should take a shot on him if they need some offensive help. But what do I know? I'm not a scout. Okay. Uh, anyway, LeBron. Now I'm ready to get into the hot streaks and cold streaks section of the show. And speaking of that anemic Detroit team from Saturday, one guy that I'm starting to lose a lot of patience in is Philip Heronic over on Detroit. He started the season slow, as we discussed, as we chronicled on the show. He got benched, then went on a really nice. Run after that, but now that run seems to have abruptly stopped around the middle of December. Now Heronic has only one assist in his last seven games, hasn't put up more than one hit or one block in any of these seven games as well. So just doing nothing for you in your fantasy points league like the Cupful. Brian, I still have Heronic in the Cupful. I just added Mark Giordano recently, so I'm okay on D. So with that in mind, am I snoozing on Heronic? Like, I, I'm not expecting like so much from him, right? I just want him to be like a 40 to 45 point guy with okay peripherals. Do you think he still has that in him? Or was I expecting too much from a power play two guy on the Red Wings? For the record, he has just scored, as you said, all of that. What? Yeah. So I don't nice. know if that... Yeah. I don't know if I'm like happy because I've already won my matchup and it's over. And now, like, I was actually eyeing him as a potential drop because annoyingly, Jake Allen lost his IRL. If, if only Montreal could have waited one day to take Allen out of the uh, COVID protocol, I could have made an ad on Monday morning. And now I was thinking oh, I'm going to have to drop someone. So I don't know if this is good news or bad news, but I guess, I don't know. What does that mean to you? I guess Heronic scored a goal. What were you going to say before he scored that goal? Uh, well, I'll tell you, but I'll also add the context. It was on a five on three. And I'm not sure if the top unit or the second unit was on well assisted ice. by cider and bertuzzi so that kind of indicates that Sounds. they were going to defensemen bertuzzi's Sounds. a power play one guy let's, let's, anyways we'll find out tomorrow <laughs> yeah. when you know what happened okay so without that five on three apparently top power play goal for philip ronick i was gonna say it's tough for him because he had 15 points in his first 26 games this year before going so silent like that's really good production and it looked reasonably sustainable too but the thing is it's hard to do that from the second power play like 40 to 45 points from anyone on the second power play is not something you can bank on that's really reserved for like the best second power play guys who are on very offensive teams like say Mikhail Sergachev is someone you think can get there but Philip Ronick on Detroit it's going to be a little tougher because that second unit is thinner and so is the rest of the offense when Hronik is on the ice. And I don't know that Hronik is there yet as a 40 to 45 point player with only second power play deployment that we still don't know where he can go, right? Hronik has been so up and down since coming into the league in terms of how, like, how high we can set our expectations for him and then he doesn't get deployed well or does get deployed well and does nothing like is is Ronick a Sergachev in the making or is he Goldagoski we still don't know I haven't seen enough of him to be able to answer that question I'll lean closer to Sergachev but uh without knowing Ronick doesn't seem like a guy you need to stay married to if he's not doing anything for you lately I'm not going to rule out that Ronick could be rosterable again through the season but he's also not the kind of guy I'm holding on to at all costs. I think the important question, of course, and I hinted at this earlier, you know, whenever we're talking about do you hold someone through a cold streak, look at the replacement level defenseman in your league, go to your free agency wire and compare them all to Heronic and say, is there a chance that for three to five to seven days at a time that this guy could outperform Philip Heronic? I think in most formats, the answer is yes. So the guy's available in free agency, and that would be more reason to let go of Heronic instead of holding on too tight. 
Well, it gets tricky, right? Because Oliver Shillington's in my free agency, but that's because Calgary doesn't play next week. So, like, you know, I added Giordano because Seattle took a whole week off. So I guess that's the one thing that makes it a little tough when you're comparing to replacement options is because the replacement options sometimes are looking more inflated just because the team has a bad schedule. But definitely, yeah, that's good advice in general. Uh, I don't know what to do now. I guess I'll have to think about it and maybe bug you after the show to figure out who I need to now make my new drop if I'm going to hold on to Heronic. By the way, other news out of this game is Dill Markin apparently is injured. This is one game, like generally on Sunday, we expect when we're recording the show that there's going to be a bunch of games going on. So we'll like make updates. I like, ah, what are the chances there's going to be anything noteworthy from this one Anaheim versus Detroit game? And now we've got yeah, Heronic scored a goal on the power play. Maybe was he taking Dill Markin's top power play spot? So he's done for the night with an upper body injury. We don't have any more news on that. That's obviously just not great at all. Like he's, I don't know if he's at the Kaprizov level of like being like so important to the team's offense, but I think he's definitely somewhat up there. Uh, I'll just throw it out there that if Pew Suter becomes the top line center and gets on the top power play to play with Bertuzzi and Lucas Raymond, that wouldn't be a terrible thing, right? So maybe take a look at Pew Suter. But again, I don't know anything about how serious his injury is. I'm literally just seeing someone in the chat. <laughs> Ashley is letting us know. And then I'm seeing some tweets saying that he's out of the game. So that's all I know about that situation. Uh, Brian, let's go over to New Jersey now. Again, we're on hot streaks and I can't help but bring up Jack Hughes again, who even after going pointless on Saturday versus Columbus in a game where he still took five shots... Hughes is on an insane run. 12 points in his last six games. He's now up to 20 points in 19 games on the season. Somehow, Hughes is only 79% rostered on Yahoo. So that has to be 21% like dead leagues, right? Like I can't imagine any fantasy league where people are paying attention and not thinking that you have to grab Jack Hughes at this point. To me, like in my opinion, and maybe you'll have to cool me off here, I think he's skyrocketing up draft rankings for next season at this point, perhaps entering the round two territory where say like a Svetch was being taken going into this season like yeah jack hughes won't get two points every game like he's been doing during this run and it's been more like three points in some games than one point in other games but uh you know what i mean but like still the 2019 first overall pick seems like a good bet to me to be point per game for the rest of the season seems like he's really coming into his own just becoming a superstar like before our eyes this season so brian are you with me that jack hughes is a point per game like sure thing if if he's a free agent in your league then your league is terrible kind of guy at this point <laughs> yeah I, I don't understand why like i was trying to think of how jack hughes could be unrostered either you're in a dead league or maybe you're in a shallow league with no ir spots and when people sort the free agents they sort by uh, uh, like total production instead of average production and so because of all the time jack hughes has been injured he's not showing up high enough on the list for people to be like oh yeah he's been pretty good or okay so not a dead league <laughs> just a stupid league yeah. <laughs> yeah but i i don't even think that's likely it's very confusing i i think you know it's like the martin marinson thing where However, like whatever percentage Marinson was rostered in, that was a pretty good sort of proxy for how many Yahoo public leagues are dead or abandoned. So yeah, I think that's probably the same thing happening here with Jack Hughes, who is a must roster. He goes without saying, coming into the season, we were looking at maybe 70 points as the breakout potential. And I looked at his numbers thinking that I was actually going to land back there while you said point per game. And I don't think I will. He and Jesper Brad have been really good together and really good at entering the zone. Uh, they seem to find a way all the time to create something. So I love what Jack Hughes is doing. And I think, yeah, we might be in for an even bigger breakout than we expected. We were expecting a breakout, but this is even better than we had thought it could be. 
Yeah, well, I guess it also helps that he's playing with Jesper Bratt, who is having his own breakout, almost a point per game himself so far. Unfortunately, though, New Jersey dealing with their own injury issues, like a lot of these teams we've brought up. So Bratt, uh, Sharon Govich, Andres Janssen, all in the COVID protocol recently. Side note, not a hot take. It's very annoying, all this COVID protocol stuff, but obviously, okay. Uh, It's five days now, so a little less. Anyway, so yeah, Sharon Govich currently on the COVID protocol actually might present a good opportunity for you to just stash him in your IR if you actually have IR room because he's been playing with Hughes and Bratt and scored in three straight games with like four shots in each of those three games right before going into the COVID protocol. So I really am excited about this spot that Sharon Govich is in if it holds when he comes back. So if he's in your free agency, you have a spot to stash. I think now's the time to do it. No risk, super potential, high reward. Uh, another injury on the team is on defense. Dougie Hamilton is out long-term with a broken jaw. Damon Severson has been seeing huge minutes at even strength. And on the power play, while he hasn't cracked a point on the power play since early December, Severson has made up for it a five-on-five, six points in his last five games. And you'd think if he's on this top power play, that means he potentially has the chance to get even more points. It seems to me like an obvious ad for anyone who needs D for the short term. I'm bummed that I didn't jump on him when I had the chance. Of course, I'm realizing Severson is also in the COVID protocol. So I guess like Sharon Govich, if he's available to you, I'll even stash him before Sharon Govich. This whole thing is ridiculous. But yeah, assuming like we do know that Hamilton's out long term because he's got the he had a surgery for his jaw. Okay, so in the meantime, once Severson comes back, you're going to want him because he's the top power play guy getting huge minutes, even strength on a hot run. Uh, So yeah. That, that's all I have to say, Brian. What do yeah. you think about Severson and Sharon Govich? Yeah, for sure. Stash them both. Uh, unfortunately, I had Sharon Govich and had to drop him because I, in the couple, we have four IR spaces, wasn't enough for me. And he was the one that I needed to cut, unfortunately, which was hard because he has three goals on 12 shots before in his last three games before going into protocol. So he is somebody that when New Jersey plays next, remember that their next game has been postponed. So you might not want to like rush to burn a move on Sharangovich because uh, it seems like this thing is spreading through New Jersey now and we don't know exactly what the future will hold. What a crazy thing to have to continuously predict. And then while Severson is also on the COVID list, if New Jersey does play games, I'd look at PK Subban if you're looking for, you know, a stream who's likely to get on the top power play. Subban was playing on the second unit with Ty Smith, but Subban is the right-handed shooter between the two of them, as is Dougie Hamilton, as is Damon Severson. So hopefully PK Subban is the one who gets a turn up top if you want to try and get some points from the top power play in New Jersey. Okay, so next up for Hot Streaks, I'm going to hijack the show a little bit because we have someone here watching live. Jessica said, I'm a little behind on the stream, but I hope you comment on Jonathan Taves. I wasn't planning on commenting on Jonathan Taves, but why not bring him up super quickly and see what he's up to? Is he up to anything? He had uh, three points in his last three games before that doing nothing. I don't know. My, my general impression with Jonathan Taves is I'm kind of over him. In the last game for Chicago, he was playing on a line with Debrinkit and Kubalik, which is, you know, nice. Like, it sounds like it could be a good line, but I don't know. I'm pretty over Jonathan Taves. Brian, have you seen anything recently to change your mind? Like, are these three points in his last three games useful? Like, two of those points are goals, and I see only one or two shots in all of these games. That, to me, is a red flag when I'm looking at a player who scored a couple goals. Like, he actually hasn't had a game with more than two shots since December 4th. Yeah, 
Jessica, in my opinion, I'm like total. I'm over Jonathan Taves. Is anything more than just a streamer? Me too. I am very over Jonathan Taves. Also, uh, he's not even getting like really great power play deployment either. And for a while, for some reason, like any point, it's great that he started putting up points. By the way, uh, because he really wasn't doing that for a lot of the season. Now he's up to seven in his last ten. But nothing beneath it is actually at all encouraging. Um, set five of those points are goals. And as Elon's saying, uh, he has like one and a half shots on average per game. So he's clearly overperforming the shooting percentage that we would expect to see from Jonathan Taves. Uh, none of these goals, well, one of them came on the power play. And uh, it, it is a little encouraging that he is playing with Debrinket now instead of Brendan Hagel. And I think it was like, Mackenzie Enchwistle for a little while. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that guy's name right, uh, but there's not a lot of sunshine for Jonathan Taves and what we're seeing. He still does not seem to have quite returned to the form we were hoping to. Of course, coming into the season, I thought that, you know, if he was over, remember he missed all of last season because of uh, how COVID was impacting his health. And I thought, okay, well, if he could get back to where he was before that, we're laughing. We're in great shape. Jonathan Taves, great value, but that just hasn't been the way things have turned out. So it's nice to see Jonathan Taves getting some points again, but I'm not convinced it's in any way that's going to be fantasy relevant the rest of the way. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, so back to our regularly scheduled plan for the show here. Uh, so slightly less egregious than Jack Hughes. Brian, can you explain how Cam Atkinson is only 61% rostered on Yahoo at this point? Like, even with Giroux on the COVID protocol, Atkinson is doing just fine with his replacement, uh, Scott Lawton. So there, it's been a line of Atkinson, Lawton, and Farabee lately. And Atkinson's on a four-game point streak with six points in that span. He also has 21 shots over his last four games, including an eight-shot game versus San Jose. This is the kind of thing I loved. This is the the opposite of Jonathan Taves, right? Atkinson taking all the shots that maybe Taves should be taking. Of course, let's credit Joel Farabee, who's clearly yielding to Atkinson for the shots, but is still on a nice run himself with five points in his last five games since he's gotten on the Atkinson line and on the top power play himself. But Brian, I'm curious to get your take on Atkinson here. We're almost halfway through the season. Cam is pacing for 61 points. In his best ever season, he scored 41 goals and had 69 points playing with Panair in 2018-19. Do you see his overall season pace as representative of what to expect moving forward or is this recent run making because remember he started kind of cold right so is maybe what we're seeing now an indication that maybe he has a chance to take a run at that career high maybe get up to that 69 points if he plays all the games the rest of the way Elon, I just don't think that's very likely. I mean, you're framing this as like, can Cam Atkinson get back to the career high 70 point pace he put up when he was playing with one of the best players in the entire NHL and also seeing 14 and a half minutes a night compared to barely 12 minutes a night in Philly with Scott Lawton and Joel Farabee. I, I just don't, uh, I don't think so. I think that's the least likely outcome here. I like that you're trying to build Atkinson as this guy who's done something great before. Can he do it again? But uh, for most of Cam Atkinson's career, he hasn't been that great. Like his best other seasons, aside from that career year with Panarin, he has a couple seasons where he's had 60 point paces. But by and large, Cam Atkinson, uh, even despite the, the value his name carries, he's been like a 40 to 50 point guy more often than not. And I get why you're wondering about Cam Atkinson now that eight-shot game was exciting. And his shotguns through the season have actually been pretty good on the whole. His game, by and large, has been okay. But keep in mind, 
Not much has changed while Atkinson is now piling up these points. And before this run of four games, Atkinson had 13 points in 26 games. So the reason why I don't think he's on very many rosters is because managers who might have rostered him or thought about him during the last two months or at most other times in Ken Atkinson's career haven't yet forgotten how inconsistent and frustrating he can be when he's often not delivering. Atkinson just seems a lot like a guy who should always have been better than he has actually been. And uh, he doesn't get a long uh, rope with managers because of that reason exactly. He's just let everyone down so many times. He feels Cam Atkinson a lot like a Jason Zucker type to me. Like I'm interested while Cam Atkinson is doing well, but not so much when he's not. So again, I, I don't think it's quite fair to say, can he return to the best he's ever been, which he did just one time. And again, had Artemi Panarin playing with him, my line on Cam Atkinson is 60 points would be nice, but that's about it for me. I'm not even really counting on that. He's not someone that I ever want to find myself in a position to rely on. Oh, wow. Okay. Maybe I, uh, maybe I framed it a little high, but you really took it way low. Being like he's not even someone you want to be needing to rely on him. I, okay. So this is just my prediction then. We'll have to see how the rest of the season goes. I think that he's going to have a huge second half. Like I'm just looking again, like I'm basic, right? I'm looking at the shots. I'm seeing all these big shot games. I'm looking at his time on ice. I'm seeing five of his last seven games. It's been over 20 minutes of ice time. I've been looking at like the power play. He's been getting on the top power play. Seems like, you know, it's taken maybe some time to get adjusted in Philly, but seems to me, like he's starting to be treated like a go-to guy on this team. And uh, I don't know, I'm really excited. And I think if he, if you're in one of these leagues or he's not rostered, one of these 40% of Yahoo leagues, I think I would grab him and I'm expecting yeah. big things. Give him a try. Like I had Jason Zucker on my roster for a while Zucker, earlier this blech, season. That who, <laughs> well, no, I said he's a good comparison for Cam Atkinson because he's someone who always seems to to be someone who should do better. And he was doing better when, like Cam Atkinson, Players were injured in Pittsburgh and Zucker got a bigger role and more ice time. And then that faded away when players came back. Like you mentioned that you really like Atkinson's shot totals. He's been shooting at similar rates his entire career. Like that hasn't changed. Uh, His shooting percentage is just higher at the moment. And I don't really see exactly why it should be higher. So uh, and again, there's players missing from the Philly lineup. Right now, that'll come back and I think take away some of this extra ice that Atkinson has seen lately. I don't know, Elon. He's 32 years old. He's someone that I would be happy to stream in. Like, I will take him before James Van Riemsdyk, say, if I'm looking at a streamer type. Uh, and he probably has more likelihood to stick on my roster than James Van Riemsdyk or Jason Zucker type. But I just think Cam Atkinson has, uh, has these oversized expectations from a lot of people who do end up having him on their roster and i think just tempering those is a good idea all right so i guess we'll agree to disagree i just i just really think cap atkinson is going to have a huge uh rest of the season so we'll have to wait and see i I see him as like way above your like jvrs and zookers but that's the fun right now we could make a little note someone please write this down remind us uh to check back in in a month and see if atkinson continued this hot run all right so let's leave philly go to uh player that used to be on that team and it's a d-man that they let get away or maybe they were happy to get rid of him actually in shane goss's behair who continues to flourish over in arizona we talked about him a lot at the start of the year being like is this for real then we sort of just like settled in and being like yeah i guess this is kind of for real but then we haven't talked about him since so i wanted to check back in and while still only 38 percent rostered on yahoo ghost bear has started to run hot again he's got six points in his last five games bringing him to 23 points in 33 games for a 57 point pace on the season brian those are alice galagoski numbers that goss 
Casper Bear is putting up, but I'd imagine a little more sustainable, especially since he's the one getting this awesome power play role. When I say awesome, I mean like top, not awesome. And in, in the terms of the team he's on, uh, I was actually shocked to see his percent rostered being so low at this point. Brian, do you think what Gossip Bear is doing at this point is sustainable? Like, is he going to realistically be a 55 to 60 point defenseman the rest of the way? Like, yeah, he's on Arizona, but also... He's doing really well so far. We're a good chunk of the way into the season. So I'm curious for you to look under the hood and tell me if what we've been seeing from Gossip Bear so far is for real. It's not for real. You know I love Shane Gossip Bear and would love to come on and tell you it's for real. Uh, but I'm going to tell you why I don't think it's for real. And I, I disagree with anybody who's not rostering Shane Gossip Bear. Whenever someone's this hot, whether it's for real or not, you've got to get him on your roster. So yeah, I think being only 38% rostered on Yahoo is probably a reflection of how deep most leagues are, plus the dead ones, but probably deserves to be rostered in a, in a few more leagues than Goss Despair currently is. But the reason that I don't think you should be expecting Goss Despair to keep up the fantastic pace, you mentioned he's on a 57-point pace that he's been on, is that Goss Despair is shooting at three times his usual shooting percentage at five on five. He's got six goals on 46 shots, shooting 13%. Those are like forward shooting numbers, and Goss Despair usually shoots 4%. So, uh, you know, if you're if you're doing the math, that's about four extra goals than we would have expected from Gosses Bear, according to his usual shooting percentage. Then you look at Gosses Bear's points participation. He has 17 points on 22 goals scored while he's on the ice. That's a 75% points participation rate for Gosses Bear versus his usual 35%. Uh, you know, it's nice that Gosses Bear is doing well on the top power play, but he's not doing so well that that's going to float him when this five-on-five production that I've mentioned for a shooting percentage and points participation regresses. At five-on-five so far, I mentioned Gosses Bear has 17 points, probably shouldn't have more than 10 if we account for expected regression. And again, that's still okay, but of course it's not 57-point pace. So I think uh, I think Gosses Bear could still be a half-point-per-game player the rest of the year. That's a good case scenario for Gosses Bear, and I hope it works out. But if you have him, uh, which a lot of people don't, but if you have him and the people are desperate for D in your league and you can afford to sell off someone who plays defense and is a half-point-per-game player, then you might want to start looking into selling high on Gosses Bear. And if you don't have him, go get him anyway until the scoring does peter out and regression does kick in. Yeah, I guess it's also with Arizona. You never know when they're just going to start getting rid of all their players. I wonder if Gossiver has played so well that now he becomes a potential person that they trade at the deadline to a contender. So it'll be really fun to see what they do. You know, with Kessel, uh, we heard rumors that Chickren might be on the block. So I wonder what this team's going to look like in a couple of months. One player that's been doing really well this year also on the team is Lawson Kraus. He's rolling against six points in his last four games. He had a goal, six shots, and seven hits in the 4-2 loss to Nashville on Saturday. So this is a guy that can fill your categories. And I'll mention Arizona has a nice middle of the week schedule they go wednesday friday saturday so if you are in a bangers league and you want to make an ad on wednesday that's going to give you three games and four nights i think you could do a lot worse than lawson kraus just wanted to throw that out there uh brian i've got a couple more d-men on hot streaks that i'm actually a lot more surprised about than goss's fair so i want to throw these two at you and you could let me know if either of the if there's anything to it because i'm pretty surprised that both brady shea and tj brody are on the hot runs that they're currently on so starting with shea after putting up only only five points in 28 games to start the season with Carolina. Some people may 
maybe didn't even realize Shea's on Carolina. So I feel like I have to put that out there. Uh, maybe not anymore, though, because over his last five games, he's exploded. He has four goals and four assists in his last five games. Also, all of a sudden, Shea's become a volume shooter. He has 19 shots over this five-game span, including four on Saturday versus Florida. Brian, like, what is happening? Like, is this just a blip? Or is there any reason to explain why this is happening? And if it can continue to even, like, I'm obviously, you know, it'd be easy. No, it's not going to continue. But I mean, like, to some extent, like, is, is Brady Shea someone who could be, like, a 40-point defense? And can he actually take, like, two and a half shots per game? Like, I don't understand how someone goes from never shooting, or not never shooting. He's actually been okay for shooting, but, like, never getting any points. All of a sudden, he's taking off. Is something different? Or is this just, like, really awesome luck in his favor and nothing more? The shot counts are definitely a little confounding. Brady Shea, I don't know if you remember, but back in his rookie season, 40 points uh, or 39 points in 80 games back when he was with the Rangers. And we were like, yeah, maybe we have a 40, 45 point defenseman on our hand. And he followed that up with three seasons where he was between a 25 and 30 point pace, which told us, uh, no, he's probably not a 40 point defenseman lately. He's looking like he's found that form again. We've always known that Shea has like this kind of ability to get hot and score in bunches, but I'm not really bought in that, of course, this production in particular is going to uh, persist. Shea has four goals on his last 13 shots, so obviously that's not going to last for Brady Shea. And Carolina, by the way, has been scoring a pile of goals, 20 goals in their last four games, and Shea has eight points on those 20 goals. And he hasn't even been on the ice for all of those. So a very uh, unlikely to continue participation for Brady Shea and all this Carolina scoring. This is a blip for Brady Shea. But like I said, going back to the start of this answer, the the shots are interesting because he's always been a two shot guy and his time on ice seems unchanged. And yet here he is throwing more pucks on net. So I'm not sure where it's coming from. And I think I'm just going to keep watching. But in the meantime, if you want to try and get in on this, he's a little less painful to have and hope that some production continues for as long as he is taking a a bunch of shots every couple games, which is what he's done, which again is kind of out of character for Brady Shea. So that's something that I'm not going to say I know is going to last or is going to peter out, but I'm going to need another week or two to watch and see. And if you want to try and get in on this production, Uh, At least if he doesn't keep producing, it would be nice if he still felt emboldened to take as many shots as he's been taking. Yeah, good for Shane. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting turn of events. And then uh, in Toronto, I mentioned TJ Brody. So the 31-year-old Brody had a four-game point streak ended in the loss to Colorado on Saturday, though he made up for it somewhat, at least three shots and three blocks in that game. Uh, So Brian, which random hot streak D-man would you take if you had to take one of Brody and Brady? I I bring these guys up again, not because I'm like super excited about them, but I look at like Yahoo's, you know, most added players. And there was a stretch like earlier in the week where both Shea and Brody were, you know, being added to a lot of teams, obviously, because they're on these hot runs. So I feel like that's where you need Keeping Carlson to come in and let you know if there's anything for real here. I, I, You've long, like back when Brody was a, the top power play guy on Calgary, you used to every week rant about how there's no way he should be getting this deployment because he's not very good. So I can't imagine now you're going to say that people should be interested in him while he's on this uh, slight run in Toronto. <laughs> You're right. It takes a lot for me to get into, like we've talked about Shea, we've talked about Goligoski. It takes a lot for me to get into like a top four 
defenseman with no history of offensive contribution to be like, oh, yeah, he's producing now and I'm bought in. It takes a lot. And obviously I'm not bought in on Brody or Shea. So I'm going to go with the guy who plays more and is on the more offensively dangerous team. And in both cases, that's TJ Brody, who plays another minute a night compared to Brady Shea, though Shea has all these random shots. So I'm actually like starting to rethink maybe I will take Brady Shea because at least I'm getting shots when neither of these guys produce, which is what I actually expect to happen over the next short while. Uh, That's my answer. It's a weird one, but I think I'll just go with it. Yeah, I'm going to go with Brady Shea for the shots. I guess it's pretty simple, but probably you could just do better check if like some of these other people we've talked about earlier on the show, like Gosses Vahair, Shillington, or one of these guys are in free agency first that actually get a power play role. Okay, also on Toronto, man, did we miss the boat talking about bunting back on the Matthews line, being the free agent to go after on the Leafs. He's done nothing lately, only one assist in the three games so far in January. Meanwhile, Alex Kerfoot was staring us right in the face. He was playing with Nylander and Tavares, picked up a cool three assists versus Ottawa New Year's day then mitch marner went in the COVID protocol kerfoot has jumped up to join matthews and bunting on the top line and kerfoot has put up two more multi-point games in his last two games with one goal and one assist versus edmonton one goal and two assists versus colorado on saturday then another guy who's jumped to the top six and is much more exciting than bunting at the moment is Ilya mikhaev who jumped up to take kerfoot's spot with nylander and tavares he's having a great late start to his season he has three goals and one assist in four games along with 17 shots in these four games so mikhaev I have really making the most of this opportunity now in the top six. But I think some of these shots and points even came while he was on line three. So is this just the kind of thing where moving forward, like Bunting, Mikhaev, Kerfoot, they're all going to shuffle around kind of like these Boston guys that we brought up where it's really hard to choose between Hall, Craig Smith and Howla. Are we in the same situation in Toronto or are one of these guys now? Like, is this awesome run by Kerfoot or Mikhaev or either of those looking to you like something that's more than just flip a coin. One of them looks like it might be for real. I think this is just how it goes. I don't see any way to predict why or when Bunting, Kerfoot, or Mikhaev will be hotter than the others. I mean, you mentioned uh, we really blew it. We missed the boat by talking about Bunting and not Kerfoot. I did that in my league, too, in the cupful for my team. I added Bunting last week, leaving Kerfoot in free agency, who my opponent snapped up ahead of all this hot stuff this week and is now going to win the matchup because of the difference between Bunting and Kerfoot. So I am very mad about it and I'm still hurting. By the way, you can hear about all three of these guys and a bunch of other players with great schedule this week on Stream Scheme with Dave Benton this week. The link is in our show notes. Highly recommend from our Keeping Carlson podcast family. But yeah, as Kyle was mentioning in the chat, uh, one way to choose might be that Kerfoot doesn't put up any peripherals. It's like he'll get one assist. And uh, in the couple, that's three fantasy points, which is okay. But Bunting can almost get there with, you know, shots and hits, even if he doesn't get any points. And then Mikhaev just doesn't have always the same opportunity to put up points as Bunting and Kerfoot do. So there's a reason to like each of them more or less than the other, I would rank them Bunting, Kerfoot, Mikhaev still, even though my faith has been terribly shaken over the last week. But that's what I'm sticking with, with the caveat that, yeah, I don't think you can actually predict which one's going to be better in a fantasy week. I just know which one I will take. Like, Bunting has the better floor, Kerfoot has the better deployment than Makiev, and that's how I decide. Okay. I know you didn't ask, but I'm just going to tell you that I actually think I'm going to go off the board here. Not off the uh-huh. board, but I'm going to disagree. And, and I think I'm going to go Mikhaev just because 
I'm intrigued, right? Like, he's just come onto the scene, so this deployment might change. Like, you know, he missed a lot of the season. Maybe they had to ease him in. Now, all of a sudden, he's on, you know, line two, looking good. Again, like, all these shots. I guess this has been the theme for me. I'm just taking the person who's taking a lot of shots lately. Because, I don't know, that's just what I like. So, I feel like Bunting and Kerfoot going to be on and off. Interesting, not interesting. So, I'm just... If I had to pick one for next week, I think I'm just, like, interested to see what Mikhaev can do. And potentially, maybe he has a ceiling that we haven't seen yet. So... But also, I'm not, like, super confident in that. Like, it's very close to 30-30-30. But if I had to pick... Wait, that still leaves 10%. Well, I guess there's 10% for, like, Andre Kasha to come back and end up being the one that you want. So he could take that if he's ever healthy again. Uh, Okay, so let's go over to Brady Shea's former team in New York. The Rangers have had a bunch of guys on hot runs, even with Panarin out of the lineup. Obviously, we're not surprised about Zibanejad, Fox, Kreider, Strom. They're all doing well. I want to shout out Barclay Goudreau, though, who recently got promoted to the top six, bumping Dryden Hunt off the Panarin and Strom line. And with Panarin out on the COVID protocol, Goudreau didn't slow down. He was playing with Lafreniere and Strom and Goudreau's assist versus Anaheim on Saturday brought him to six points in his previous five games. And I see today we saw a tweet from the Rangers that Panarin is going to be back. So it's like a really nice spot to be in. Obviously playing with Panarin and Strom, not that Dryden Hunt took advantage, but it looks like Barclay Goudreau has taken advantage so far. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Colin Blackwell from last year, who was kind of like a bottom six guy, not too exciting. Then all of a sudden he went on this super hot run. People might remember this. It was like he was a point per game for like almost a month because he was playing, I think, with Artemi Panarin. Now, Goudreau's in the spot. He's starting well. I wonder if in three weeks from now we're going to be talking about his run of, like, point per game for a month. So, Brian, should people be looking to jump on Goudreau now that he's on a run and playing on a line with Panarin, much like Cam Atkinson did once back in the day when he put up his best ever season, as we chronicled earlier? Yeah, Panarin's a great guy to be playing with. I mean, we were interested in Dryden freaking Hunt in that position, and Hunt was doing less than Barclay Goudreau has done lately. Also, Goudreau has some nice hits numbers, as I think, if I remember right, without having his numbers on in front of me, Dryden Hunt did as well. But yeah, nice to see some uh, some production come from Goudreau. Uh, I mean, he had three goals over four shots, which of course is going to be the as wet blankety as I get about this, but you're playing with Panarin, your ice time is increasing, like it's been steadily increasing for a while now this season. It's fun to see both both Gaudreau and Coleman, you know, coming off that Tampa team where they played such an important role as third liners, get a shot in the top six again and uh, both be making the most of it. Gaudreau seems like somebody I'm interested in adding, especially, you know, like I've added, I've been someone who's added Capo Caco and dropped him a few times this season. Caco has two points in his last two games, but I would still prefer uh, Barkley Gaudreau to Capo Caco, even though Caco's seeing more power play time. Yeah, Caco and like Lafreniere are both so interesting right? We keep on expecting them to have these big futures, but still another season of them not interesting us too much yet. Uh, we'll see if eventually it happens for them. But yeah, Goudreau just in a good spot in producing, so how can you say no? Uh, over to Blackwell's new team. I know I'm like really down in the weeds here, but Colin Blackwell, for people who don't know, is now on the Seattle Kraken, and the Kraken were off all of last week, but they will finally start playing some games and next week it's a good schedule, right? Four games playing Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. I've already uh, jumped ahead and added a couple Kraken players. In couple I mentioned, I added Giordano. In another league I mean, I added Yanni Gourd. Uh, in couple Tier 1, Lewis dropped Jared McCann because he, you know, wanted to maximize his chances of winning his matchup. And Jeremy V snagged him with a $19 fab bid to get McCann. So I'm sure part of that is just because he likes McCann and also he probably likes that schedule for next week. Actually, Seattle also plays four games the following week. So now's the time 
to get in on any of these Kraken who have been dropped in your leagues. And if all of the obvious options are taken, maybe take a look at the next tier. I'm going to throw a name at you, Brian. Callie Yarncrock had two goals and three assists in his previous two games before Seattle stopped playing games. The latest lines, because Seattle has been practicing, so we have gotten lines. You could go to gamedaylinetweets.com to see the latest for all the teams. We retweet all the lines. Uh, Yarncrock has been playing on the top power play with Eberly, McCann, uh, Marcus Johansson, and Giordano, and on, I think, the second line with Gourd and Blackwell, the previously aforementioned. So I'm going to go on a limb here predict at least two points in the four games for Yarncrock next week, which I think would count as a win for Dave in the stream scheme. So uh, that's a free one for you if Dave didn't mention it. By the way, my Sunday routine is to record the show with Brian, then like watch a TV show or something with my wife, then she goes to bed, then I edit the podcast, I post the podcast, and then as I brush my teeth and get ready for bed, I listen to the stream scheme. So I'll be curious to see if if I'm like too late in mentioning Callie Yarncrock. Don't spoil me, Brian. Okay, I won't. I haven't listened yet. (laughs) That's a wild routine to record a two-hour podcast and then listen to another one moments later. Well, it's not a two-hour, right? Stream Scheme's only like 20 minutes, so it's a little bit easier. (laughs) Yeah, true. I mean, if anyone here is outing themselves as the fantasy hockey robot, I think it might be you. Uh, We can continue that debate another time, though. (laughs) By the way, uh, Yarncrock is a great look for next week. Another decent look might be Chris Driedger. I mean, we were talking about Francouz getting a couple games guaranteed. I think Driedger is going to get two also. He's going to get at least one with a back-to-back in the middle of of the week and then if like me Callie Yarncrock is already gone from your free agent pool uh maybe you look at someone like Ryan Donato who is not on the top power play and is not on well I mean they're listed in the second line as this line tweet but Gord Yarncrock and Blackwell seem more like a second line than Donato Geeky and Appleton but Ryan Donato was doing pretty well leading up to the break he had three goals in his last four games on 13 shots. So I I like to see all those shots being taken. He wasn't seeing a ton of ice. He was occasionally seeing some decent power play two time. uh, But he is somebody that if Yarncroc is already gone, you could go for Ryan Donato and maybe he'll get you one point over the four games. But Elena, like Yarncroc is a nice deeper guy if Eberle and McCann and Gord are all gone for you. Okay, there you go. So so there's some deep cuts over on Seattle. Watch out for Chris Drieger, by the way. Yeah, he might play some games. He's letting five and four goals in each of his last couple of games. So a bit of a yeah. scary start, but you know. watch out in both senses of the of the phrase. And finally, Brian, to end the show, let's just pour one out for people who roster Ottawa Senators players. They haven't played any games this week. The game that was supposed to happen tomorrow versus Edmonton already rescheduled because the Oilers have so many players with COVID. The next game now scheduled for Ottawa is next Thursday against Calgary and. Uh, yeah, just has been a bummer, right? To have these players that you can't drop. It's kind of, I guess with the Islanders is the other team where it's just like they never play and you're just stuck holding on to like a Matt Barzell. In Ottawa, there's a few players who you can't drop. You're obviously, you've got your Kachuk, Batherson, Norris, Shabbat. You're just holding these guys, waiting for them to hopefully give you a bunch of games when all these games get rescheduled. In the meantime, obviously not a drop by any means, but lots of people in our Discord have been talking about Brady Kachuk recently. He's been the, uh, it's interesting that he's, we've had so much discussion about Brady, even though Ottawa hasn't been playing 
lot of people talking about how he's been a bit of a disappointment this season. And to be honest, Brian, I just don't really get it. I'm not sure what I'm missing here. He's got 22 points in 26 games, uh, which is pretty good. Like, that's, you know, a couple more points, and you're talking close to point per game. Uh, many of those games, by the way, were without Batherson and Norris. I feel like when he's up with that top line and everyone's healthy, they've been really crushing it. Uh, but I even saw that you were getting in on predicting that the 22-year-old Kachuk may never reach the heights that we had been expecting of him. It's, I'm not saying that I disagree. It's just like this sort of came out of left field for me because I thought we were like all together, like super high on Brady Kachuk, and all of a sudden I'm seeing the discussion sort of changing direction. So, Brian, where, where are you currently sitting on Brady now that we're a good chunk into his fourth pro season? What kind of upside do you see for his career? Yeah. Also, don't misunderstand. I'm still really high on Brady Kachuk. The question was about Kachuk in a bangers league whether he's a third round value or potentially first or second round value. Uh, we had Kevin, our Cupful coordinator, actually was asking a question to the Discord server about his team and where to value Kachuk. And he has him as a keeper in the third round and was talking about, oh, well, if I didn't keep him, he'd probably get drafted in the first or second. And so my comment was just like, you know, I wonder at what point, you know, we really need to actually start to see Brady Kachuk putting up big numbers, like the big goal scoring numbers that we always want to see from him um, so that we can sort of be reassured that he is on track to be the player we want him to be. 12 goals in 26 games so far with 10 assists for 22 points in 26 games. Yeah, that's pretty good. And the goal scoring pace is also really good, right? Uh, Like 12 goals in 26 games. It's almost uh, just shy of one goal every two games. So look, I'm happy with Brady Kachuk. I think this has just been a weird season. Like if I'm looking at his numbers under the hood, remember he started late because there were some contract holdout issues. And then uh, the Sens have been on again and off again so many times, you know, to get going and get started after a long layoff, I, I think does take some out of you. And also Kachuk was playing on these skeleton crew Ottawa squads before they were officially having their own team's games postponed before it caught on with the rest of the league. Uh, but Ottawa had like no players left at one point and Kachuk and co were still plugging away whoever was healthy. So I'm not down on Kachuk at all. I just want to make that clear. Um, I think he's really exciting as a player and a goal scorer. His numbers this year under the hood don't look as good as they have in the past, but I really do think that's a matter of starting the season late and then having all of these stops and starts happen along the way. But I definitely feel for anybody rostering Ottawa Senators or New York Islanders, I think those are the two teams. Like if you have a can't drop player from those teams or both those teams, I do. I have Brady Kachuk and Ilias Zorogan, and I had Varlamov before, but I finally cut ties with him. Um, but if you have like Matt Barzal and Brady Kachuk, or Thomas Shabbat and Ilias Sorokin or Drake Batherson, like if you have these can't drop guys from these teams who have been so screwed over by the schedule uh, and all the postponements and delays, I feel for you. I see you. And I'm sorry. Hang in there. Yeah, the thing to remember is the fun thing about fantasy is if you win, you brag forever. And if you lose, you just need an excuse for why you lost, that it's not your fault. And here's an easy one. If you lose Brian now, you can just be like, well, yeah, I drafted Brady Kachuk and he never played and I lost a bunch of matchups and then I couldn't catch up. So obviously I'm still really smart. It's just like I, I got a little bit screwed over by the schedule. So, you know, that that's your solace there. Uh, but there's still a lot of season to go. Hopefully Yahoo will extend that. Currently they're scheduled to have the Olympic break be like a four-week single matchup 
So hopefully they'll change it now that the NHL players aren't going to the Olympics so that there could be even more season to go so we can make up for maybe some bad schedule luck that have hit some of our teams. Uh, Brian, with that, I think we're done with our content for this week's episode. It's been such a blast talking to you. But unfortunately, all good things come to an end and it's time to wrap things up. Uh, Before we do, though, I wanted to give a quick shout out. We did a patron cast recently, which is our show we do monthly where we answer all of the questions by the patrons. We actually have one coming up. I guess we're going to schedule it pretty soon for January. We'll probably do that in a, in a week or two. We usually do it you know, near the end of the month. Uh, and one of the questions was from one of our great patrons, Mops, who asked us about what our like spouses think about the podcast and how like are they supportive of us and all of this. And it, it, was, a, it was a fun question. And then as the reason that she was asking this was because her spouse is starting a podcast. And I guess she was just like, we were talking about that. And you and I talked on the show how like, hey, send us over some information about your spouse's podcast so that we can uh, promote it so here we go we heard back from phil who is doing a podcast about something that i am not familiar with it's called android netrunner wow way to sell it <laughs> okay <laughs> don't worry it's i'm gonna sell it because i'm just gonna read the words that phil told me i'm not gonna lie here and be like check out the hottest game i've been playing it all the time maybe i'll check out this podcast and it'll convince me so uh here you go i'm gonna tell you a little bit about android netrunner uh, so are you tired Oh, yeah, I want to read this like Charlie from It's Always Sunny. Are you tired of half your roster being sick? Well, then, it's time to dive into a game where the sickest thing is the rips off the corpse R&D server. That's right! Android Netrunner is the game you've been yearning for this whole time! And why not let the Shadow Net be your guide to the exciting world of competitive cardboard nerdery? Uh, so, that was that good. <laughs> I mean, I could barely tolerate it to be <laughs> honest with the voice, but you should definitely go check out Phil's po- Phil's Android Netrunner podcast. It's called the Shadow Net. Okay, the Shadow Net. Uh, check it out on all your favorite podcasting apps. And if you don't know what any of those words meant, like me or Elon, maybe you'll uh, find out and be really into it. I know some of our patrons are into Android Netrunner, so there is some overlap between this and fantasy hockey. This Shadow Net. Check it out. I'll be honest. I do sometimes really need to play some games that are not fantasy hockey when I'm starting to deal with all these injuries and it's so frustrating. It is nice to just play a game where the rules are more stable and it's not like the quantum moon, like I said at the start, where every time I look, things have changed. So uh, yeah, maybe I'll have to check out uh, Android Netrunner and listen to the Shadownet podcast. Okay. Anyways, thanks, Mops, for being an awesome patron. Yeah, the next episode... If you're not if you're not sure about uh, Android Netrunner, they're getting their mothers to judge their holiday bake off <laughs> competition. Wait, what does that have to do with anything? Amazing in podcast form. Should we do that? Let's listen to how they did it. Maybe we'll be inspired. Okay, sounds good. Uh, All right, so again, Brian, that's us wrapping up the show. So how about with that, I'll just mention that if you like Keeping Carlson, we'd love to hear from you. If you don't like it, we'd also love to hear from you. You can let us know why. Uh, So tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. If you like us, though, we'd, of course, really appreciate your reviews on Apple Podcasts, wherever you can review podcasts. Help out the show without costing yourself a cent. Uh, If you want to support the show in an even more significant way, you can become a patron of Keeping Carlson. Come hang out in our patron cast ask us questions get us to promote your uh, husbands and wives different podcasts uh, we're happy to do it we love our patrons and we also have a really fun community over on discord uh, so feel free to become a patron and join up and if you don't like it you could leave at any time right it's it, it's free to leave you only get charged at the beginning of the month which means now we're still in the beginning of january it's basically like a free trial anytime you sign up to be a patron it's a free trial until the first of the next month we'd love to have you come join us that's keepingcarlson.com slash patron but with that brian i'm ready to cue 
that outro music. Bing! And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Kimmy Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our super supporters, Patty, Rob, David, Derek, Tom, Andrea, Christopher, and Flash. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening. Uh, thanks also to our Kikupful coordinator, Kevin A. Bear, and our team of co-commissions for helping to keep the Kikupful run smoothly. KKUPFL.com for more info on that. You can still join the wait list and take over a team before the season's over. Uh, we're totally and get a taste of the competition so you're ready for next season. Also, thanks, Champs Benamore, for keeping the amazing stream of fantasy news rolling on our three essential Twitter accounts for fantasy at Game Day Lines, at Game Day News NHL, and at Game Day Goldies. Logo art by BrendanWeeb.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, our friend Victor at Fantasy Hockey Life, Cat Friendly, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Hockey Base, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge. Great job as always, Brian. I'm always so impressed with your long list of resources you use to research the show. Uh, thanks so much again, everyone, for listening. We've got a full week of short shifts coming up. Then we're going to be back at you next Sunday with another mega show just like this. Uh, so, Brian, until then, let's tell people what they should be doing with their time. You should be doing all that you can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone.